Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Today we're chatting about a book that's just hit the news outlet. It's a book called Confessions of a Stratcom Hitman by Paulie Rasmus. And joining us from Jakarta is the publisher herself, Maggie Davy. Maggie, welcome to the show. Hello, Chad. Maggie, it's unusual to be interviewing the publisher and not the author, but very sadly, the author died prior to the book being released. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I really want to dive straight into this. This book is, is a real page turner. And for those that don't know, you're going to explain in a couple of minutes what Stratcom was and why you made the decision to publish this very important book. But for me, reading this book, I found it to be a page turnover mostly because it came across in a very personal manner. It was almost like the the author, the late Paul Erasmus, was talking to his children. He was sending a message to both Dylan and Candace to try explain who he was and how he became what he was. Would I be right in that assessment? Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's dead on, Chad. I mean, and through speaking to Dylan and Candace, then through them to citizens of South Africa, and and you know further afield, but primarily to citizens of South Africa. So it's a very personal book in some aspects, and it's a very brutally honest book. In other mm. aspects, one hasn't mm. seen this before where somebody who was so closely aligned with both the apartheid killing machine as well as mm. the apartheid propaganda machine has actually come mm. out and spoken in great detail about how they operated. I'll tell you what took me by surprise was a lot of the pettiness and childish behavior that he speaks about mm-hmm. and that his colleagues were involved with. And this came as a complete yeah. shocker to me because people don't normally go that deep or that intimate. And some of what he describes in his book almost comes across as childish or prankish in nature, the way that people are being harassed. But when one looks at the bigger picture, Stratcom was a monster. It wasn't just a, a, a a machine of propaganda, but it destroyed mm. people's lives literally. So yeah. let's start off. Yeah. What was Stratcom and what made you decide to publish this book so many years after the fact? Well, you know, Jakana will be 20 years old next year. So um, I suppose, uh, you know, and we are a publisher of the left we have been doing that all these years and, you know, we publish books, uh, we hope, which are groundbreaking and, you know, go where other people may not have gone, you know, yet. Um, and I think this is a case in point. Um, there there uh, was a publisher, um, they're still going, I think, Galago Books, run by a larger-than-life character called Peter Stiff. Um, and, and they published a lot of Rhodesian soldiers' memoirs and South, some South African soldiers' memoirs and policemen. And, and in a way, this book could have... They could have been a natural home for this book, except for the depth and the honesty and the the the... the um, wanting to be as truthful as possible and wanting to give as much information as possible. And finally, he did not want, Paul did not want to aggrandize himself. So you often find um, 
these these guys who who write these war memoirs um, aggrandize themselves, you know, um, and and that wasn't Paul's ambition for this book. He wanted to, you know, and and I sh- I should say at the very beginning that please read this book. I am in no way speaking for Paul. Um, I can give some information around the publication and, um, you know, many interviews that I I had with Paul, but um, read it to get his voice and to to hear what he was wanting to do. He wanted to spill the beans and he he had been spilling the beans since the early 90s, you know, uh, to the Goldstone Commission, to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He went uh, to the Timor re-inquest and then to the Agat re-inquest and, and, you know, gave his all to to them. I think you, you made a very valid point um, a few minutes ago where you said that um, you, you see a lot of these stories of people that were involved either in the police or in the military and they get published by um, the likes of Peter Stiff. But those are very celebratory of the exploits of those particular people who become heroes in, in yeah. their, in their um, period right. of time that they're writing about, whereas this, it's not self-deprecating. It's just exceptionally, exceptionally honest. It's, it's, yeah. there's, there's a couple of important things I want to discuss with you about the book. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our advertiser. But before we do that, I just want to let our listeners know that a book like this is an, an important read. And when one reads that all royalties from the book are donated to the Teddy Bears Clinic for Abused Children, one realizes that this book wasn't about somebody bragging about their exploits. It was somebody yeah. who may have been looking for redemption but wanted the real story told. We'll be back straight yeah. after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting to Maggie Davey from Jakarta Publishing about a book that's just hit the shelves called Confessions of a Stratcom Hitman by Paul Erasmus. And as Maggie pointed out earlier in the show, she can't speak for Paul. Sadly, he passed away recently, but she can speak about the Paul that she got to know. And that leads me to a very important question. When one reads this book, you see how this man spirals out of control. You see how he goes through a divorce. He's withheld uh, custody's withheld um, from him in respect of him seeing his children. He gets to see his daughter at school. She lashes out at him, and it becomes very personal. What was the Paul Erasmus that you knew while this book was being written? Um, Chad, um, I, I think a man obsessed with getting as much information out about the security branch, how it functioned, and Stratcom and how that functioned, and um, so so you know that that was his focus. He wanted to, um, I, I think, you know, he once said to me, "Facebook, God, can you imagine if we had Facebook when we were doing Stratcom? Can you imagine the damage we would have done with Facebook?" And you know, we just have to think back a couple of years to Cambridge Analytica. You know, to what Facebook um, is doing and has done, you know, in in creating this a binary uh, world, you know, uh, left and right, right and wrong, um, and um, 
and they, they continue to do that. I was just seeing the other day that there are there's more Nazi memorabilia. Was it Nazi? Uh, I think it was, yeah, that they haven't taken down. Um, but I'm open to correction on that. It was some rabid right-wing um, merchandise. But um, so, you know, Paul, Paul wanted people to know what they were up against, you know, that information, uh, disinformation, misinformation is one of the big tools of the uh, of the state and not even just the security state, the military state, the police state. Um, but, we, you know, who knows what kind of disinformation and misinformation we're getting from our own state. And I think he wanted people to be absolutely aware um, and, and look out for that and question. Um, does that go some way to, to answering? It, it does. And, and it yeah. raised a very important point, and that is disinformation is still with us. It's just so so much more easily accessible. One talks about yeah. Facebook. One talks about Instagram, Twitter. Of course, we yeah. had one of the biggest protagonists in the world banned from from Twitter um, in yeah. the in the last year or so. So one can see how social media has become this massive platform. When one reads yeah. the book, you hear how he he couriered. And posted letters and documents to London when the ANC was unbanned. You hear about faxes that were sent to the ANC during their, their first elective conference after being unbanned, trying to discredit certain individuals within the party from being elected and of course discourage international investors. You hear about him having to fly to meet different individuals in the UK. And it puts it into perspective that the the beast of of disinformation hasn't gone away. It's just become so much easier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and just to go back, you know, to your to your last question about, you know, what what was the poll I knew? Just to add on, quite importantly, there um, is that I don't think Paul thought he could be forgiven. I don't think he wanted redemption. Actually. Um, and and that was sad. I, I was sad about that, you know, because he believed in God, and and you know, uh, from the very little I I understand about Christianity, I think that redemption is available, shall I say, to to everybody. Um, and um, you know, I don't. He certainly didn't want forgiveness. Uh, he didn't think. He should be forgiven. So the main thrust of what he wanted to do was to blow the whistle again and again and again on what happened. Look, Chad, the people he was reporting to, the line of, of command, um, most of those guys are retired, pensioned Sitting uh, on on at the coast, on their at their houses on the coast. So, you know, one of the the things that the book was to one of the important issues of the book was to try to to um, show that uh, reporting structure. Um, and uh, you know, of course, some of them, as you well know, uh, had got cushy jobs with the uh, with the new government, but. Um, 
you know, the people who gave the orders in the main didn't didn't go to the TRC. Seems like you almost preempt my questions. I'd like to remind the listeners that we have a conversation. None of this is scripted. What I was going to bring up now was the fact that I read in the book how excited and enthusiastic he was that it seemed as if there was going to be justice for one of the great unsolved murders, and that was of the activist Timol. And he speaks about the man, the one man in particular who's been accused of the murder who was in his 80s now having to stand trial. Uh, at the time of writing, the man was alive. He's now passed away. So is Paul. And another protagonist in all of this that people thought was completely innocent in the whole greater scheme of things, F.W. de Klerk recently passed away. So we're talking about incidents 30, 40, 50 years ago. And we don't think that the TRC brought about the necessary justice. And it's, it's issues that are still, they're not niggling. They're front and center because there hasn't been yeah. this healing process. Your thoughts on the fact that one of the men accused of murdering Timor has now recently passed away, De Klerk has passed away, Erasmus has passed away. Do you think we will ever see anybody held accountable that's still alive? Gosh, well, there are a million people better able to to speculate on that than, than I. But I know that um, a couple of things. One is that... Um, Paul and his lawyers uh, at various times um, wanted to, um, and in fact, I believe it has been done, uh, to write a letter to the president asking uh, for an explanation about the deal that was done at the TRC between, <clears throat> between the National Party and the ANC. So, that's a critical thing to find out as citizens of this country. Critical. And the more information that, that can come to light uh, about that deal, about the casualties of that deal, which we're still seeing today, um, the better. And, and perhaps we get further in understanding what deal that was. And obviously that was a deal of of not prosecuting people, or very few. Um, and, um, uh, oh God, Chad, sorry, I've the second part of the question. Do you think in our lifetime we'll see any justice considering the age um, um, and, and, and condition of the people that were involved yeah. and gave the orders? Yeah. Well, you know, Paul um, is very clear in the book um, that more money was put into Stratcom after the release of Nelson Mandela and the unbanning of the ANC and SACP um, than was ever put into Stratcom before. And that's quite a big um, fact to, to think about, you know, um, that uh, proper classes by academics, by senior policemen, were given after 1990 in strategic communications in Stratcom, in misinformation. I don't recall how many projects that Stratcom had uh, going, but it, it was over 50, 60 perhaps, you know, that ranged between misinformation, disinformation, um, hassling, um, undermining, um, the church, 
the university. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, um, read the book. They're all listed there. Um, and that's where the big thrust happened. And that was under the clerk, the clerk's watch. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know that we'll get anything from the clerk's archives. Um, but there will be a lot uh from the archives of that time, but whether they've been, I'm sure maybe they were destroyed in the big ESCOM uh, furnaces where they destroyed so much uh, information. That was a massive destruction. It was one of the biggest destructions of documentation in in history, not just in terms of the South African context, but in terms of the world context. It got so bad they weren't just using Eskom to burn documents, but they were using one of the major foundries just outside of Pretoria where they produce – it's called Pretoria Metal Pressings. They use those furnaces um, to burn thousands of of, of tons of documents. And I remember reading in this book um, by Paul – where he speaks about there was a concern at a stage at John Forster Square, which what Derby Central was then known as where he was based, that the floor on which they were it held so many filing cabinets yeah. of so many people they were scared of the structural integrity of the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and, um, you know, so, I mean, just to continue on that slightly, um, Paul was on the ninth floor of John Forster and then you had people like Cronwright, Whitehead. Um, there were cells up on floor 10. And um, there wasn't a lot of communication between floors 10 and 9. Well, rather, I should say, floor 9 got a lot of their directives and orders from floor 10. But they weren't necessarily encouraged to go up to floor 10. But on floor 10, um, and I think this is coming out for the first time, is the extent of the phone tapping um, that went on um, in the security branch. They had banks and banks of uh, people listening to tape. Um, um, I don't know the technical words they say me, but... Uh, uh, you know, Paul has them all in the book, but to making tape recordings of people's phone calls. Um, so, you know, and uh, well, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, there's a lot of, uh, they didn't just use it um, on banned people or people who supported the movement, but for petty reasons and for larger criminal corruption corrupt reason. You, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, two things that stood out for me um, firstly was the chap you mentioned who sat on the 10th floor who was referred to as Little Hitler. Um, his intense dislike for English speakers, um, white people that supported um, the, the anti-apartheid movement, his hatred towards the Jewish community um, and mm-hmm. how they actually had a white section. It was called the white section to spy mm-hmm. on white people who were involved in the struggle. They had an entire department dedicated just to harassing these these people. The second um, part of the book that really stood out and the reason why people need to get their, 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 their hands on a copy is the part about the fact that, and you mentioned this earlier, the propaganda machine went into overdrive 
after 1990. Everybody thinks that everything ended in February yeah. of 1990 when de Klerk unbanned various political parties released political prisoners and started dialogue. What they don't realize is that was a second phase that needed to kick in, and that was to yeah. try and retain power by any means possible to now discredit these people that yeah. have been released. So it's, yeah. it's, it yeah. makes for a fascinating yeah. read. What, yeah. for you personally, having delved into some really, really dark narratives over the years with the different authors you've, you've worked with that were involved in the apartheid struggle, what stood out for you? Was it the fact that you were dealing with somebody that was actively engaged against those people that you knew in the past? Or, or what was it that, that stood out for you about, about Paul and what he was doing in this book? Well, I'll just answer that in, in two ways, I hope. Um, one of the books we published just before Paul's book is a, you know, a, a magisterial history of the South African left over the last hundred years, and the Communist Party in particular. It's called Red Road to Freedom, and it's by the eminent historian Tom Lodge. Um, so it's, it's a, a, um, a guide, as it were, to the left over a hundred years. Um, then you get Paul's book, um, and so many of the people uh, in, in Tom Lodge's book were, um, you know, fingered by uh, um, Paul and, and, and had to set out to, to try to destroy them, kill them even. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, you had um, this very uh, intelligent um, international uh, sophisticated, thoughtful um, uh, opposition to colonialism and apartheid. Um, and then you had, you know, the security branch, which sometimes reads as though they were kind of keystone cops, you know, but, but they managed to do so much, you know, to destroy so many people in, in the in the meantime. Um, and then a book that we published right after Paul called Fighting and Writing by uh, another great historian, Louise White. Um, and, and that's about Rhodesian soldiers' memoirs, both during the war and after the war. And in a way, you could read Paul's book in between reading either of these books because they set you up, the whole the three set you up for a really extraordinary history of, uh, you know, of the last certainly 50 years um, of oppression and, and the fight for, for freedom. And then um, to read about, you know, what, what was Paul defending? What kind of state... What country did he think he was defending? Um, the security branch, you know, what did they believe they were defending? What kind of state did they want to live in? Um, there was a lot of hellfire and brimstone, uh, church and state. Um, but uh, I don't get the feeling that Paul ever 
believed much of that, you know. Um, sorry, Chad, that was long-winded and may not have Well, well uh, I do appreciate it. I want to end off by just reading the 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 blurb that's on the on the on the cover of this book because it kind of encapsulates everything about this book. It says, at this time of fake news, of populism and misinformation, of privateers in the state security system, and of state capture by the governing party, this book could not be more urgent or apt. It is a disturbing and furious attempt to explain Erasmus's own depravity and that of his colleagues, bosses, and governments operating under the Stratcom project. Erasmus frames this within the tyranny of the racist, banal, and ideological state during apartheid. It is a lesson from history, a visceral confession to South Africans, and a letter of love to his family. Maggie, whoever wrote that encapsulated it perfectly. It really is a page turnover. Well, I'm so glad that you think so. Um, I I, I want to just say one thing. Paul wrote very well. You know, he had an amazing talent for stringing a story together and writing a story. You know, one doesn't expect that so much from the security police. Um, and and so the opening, as I'm sure you'll agree, uh, you know, kind of pretty well grabs you by the throat, um, the opening few pages. Um, so Paul, Paul uh, told a great story and... Um, you know, uh, he loved his children so much. He really wanted to, uh, you know, I suppose not clean the slate, but to have told as much as was physically possible during his lifetime. And thirdly, people have been using the word stratcom a lot, say, in the last five years. Uh, I don't know if you'd agree. Maybe the I would. Five, yeah. And, and, you know, I don't think people understand, uh, what, you know, um, what Stratcom was. Um, the money, the structures, the reporting, the government uh, instructions, the department that was set up to look after it, the people who are still around who contributed to it, and of course the people who were not penalised. Definitely a must read. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to our next chat sometime in the new year. Thanks a million, Chad. Take care. Confessions of a Stratcom Hitman by Paul Erasmus is available at all good bookstores. It really is something that you should read during the break that's coming up during the festive season. And all royalties from this book sale will be donated to the Teddy Bear Clinic for Abused Children.